I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is a bonus episode of News Du Jour. Hey everyone, and welcome back to a bonus episode of News Du Jour for my maternity leave. Um, today we are premiering a new series about misunderstood figures in history. And so basically we'll walk through different people and why they may be misunderstood or maybe we just don't know that much about them um, and want to clarify some details. But there's going to be some really interesting people that we will go over and kind of just dive into who they really were amidst all the rumors and all of the sort of narratives that have been created about who they are. So first up, we are going to start with Joan of Arc, or should I say, Saint Joan of Arc. You probably imagine her as the woman on the horse, you know, sporting armor, a sword, and an image that isn't wrong per se. There's just a lot more to this mythical character who led battles on behalf of France so many years ago. You may or may know, may not know that she was burned alive for so-called heresy. But what happened in between her leading a, leading battles as a teenager and being burned is a mystery for a lot of people today. But she led a really fascinating and also inspiring life, um, definitely breaking gender stereotypes long before it was trending. So I thought we would take a closer look at this incredible woman's story today. Yes, she is the woman on the horse, but more so, she is the teenage girl who led armies and crowned a king. So Joan was born in the year of 1412, and it's pretty incredible that we are still to this day talking about her when she was not a royal, but rather just an average Joan, if you will. (laughs) She truly led a normal life in terms of her upbringing. She was, by all accounts, a really good kid. She obviously was taught about religion from a really young age. You know, Catholicism is pretty big in France in this time period. But she grew up in a small provincial village of Dorme de la Pucelle in France. She was the daughter of a farmer who, according to reports, was pretty tough on Joan She was always left with a lingering sense of unworthiness that many people are familiar with. But again, an overall average Joe. She spent her childhood pretty much in a country home with an overflowing garden. Seriously, look up pictures. I pretty much want to move in. But when Joan was born, the English and the French had been at war for many, many years. So 
she was kind of born into that legacy. And at the time of her birth, the English really had the upper hand. In fact, many of the French were starting to turn and feel that maybe they should just be part of England. But Joan's little town was actually fiercely loyal to France. And this seems to be where her love of her country was really instilled into her. There was an incident in her childhood where these armed forces rode into her town. Many of the women and children actually escaped to this fortress outside the city, but were forced to listen on as their village was burned and anyone left down there was brutally killed. This event obviously affected Joan for the rest of her life, but it was after this that she began to hear voices at the age of 13. She believed that this was the voice of God speaking to her. And like I mentioned at the top, she was eventually deemed a saint by the, by the Catholic Church. And thus, they believed that she truly was hearing from God. But her family and fellow villagers at the time obviously balked at this. They did not buy it. And who can blame them? I hear voices from God and typically think schizophrenia, but it's unlikely that Joan was severely mentally ill as she went on to literally lead armies. So we know she was functioning and who knows what these voices really were. I think we need to allow a little suspension of disbelief on the subject when it comes to Joan because these voices really defined her life and her rise to leadership as well as her pretty quick demise. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget. Book an SUV or minivan for a family road trip, a pickup truck for some errands, or even test drive an EV. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Find your drive. Forget boring rental cars at Turo.com. It was also in her teenage years that Joan decided to remain a virgin for the rest of her life. You know, it's usually around this time that most of us are going in the opposite direction. So this was a really unusual part of who Joan was as a person. And she remained dedicated to chastity the rest of her life. Also around this time, her father had a dream about Joan riding off with armed men. And this really disturbed him to the point where it became part of her story. Because medieval people, you have to understand put a lot of stock into their dreams and her father even reportedly considered drowning Joan uh, rather than let her befall this fate because you see at the time the only women who were commonly seen riding off with armed men were sex workers so he was not thrilled about this he felt like Joan was going to go into prostitution that this was a sign of that Little did he know that Joan would eventually be riding off with armed men, but as their leader, not as a prostitute. At age 16, her father tried to marry her off. This was a normal age to be married at that time, but Joan rejected the offer. 
her voices were telling her that she was the only one who could save France. So she went and had a judge rule that she did not need to marry despite her father's arrangement. And she opted to take off. She opted to take off out of her small town in pursuit of her destiny and in accordance with the instructions that she was hearing in her head. She was still 16 years old at this point and no one in her life understood her decision and it was actually pretty dangerous for a young woman to go off by herself at this time but she forged ahead anyway or should I say nevertheless she persisted ha had to go there. Her uncle escorted her to the next town over, actually, and she approached the magistrate there, who's kind of like a judge, as I understand it, and she asked that he take her to Chignon, where Charles, the crown prince, lived. (laughs) You see, Charles was somewhat of an ousted leader. Rightfully, he was the king. But his own mother had spread rumors of him being illegitimate. And thus he grew up very insecure about his own right to rule. And it's likely that those around him fed this insecurity. So when Henry V from England came in, he was able to take over without much of a fight from Charles. So there he sat, throwing a pity party for himself in Chignon an ousted, embarrassed, unconfident ruler. But when the magistrate heard this request from Joan, he laughed in her face and actually told the uncle to give her a good beating. Before we go on, I want to emphasize that in this day and age and for countless centuries afterward, there was no such thing as upward mobility, okay? Whatever station you were born into, you were pretty much locked into. Occasionally, we find stories of a person rising one, maybe two ranks, but that is very much the exception, and for a farmer's daughter to even look at a king was a long shot, but advising him? Virtually unheard of. So when Joan blatantly went to the king and demanded an audience, this was far and beyond a bold move. It was actually kind of a dangerous one. Who is she to even think about speaking to a king, a 16-year-old girl? Additionally, we need to cover some background on the story about what was going on. So it's unclear when and how exactly this story began. But at the time, there was this popular fable going around that a woman would save France. And not only that, but this woman was said to be from Joan's part of the country and to be a virgin. Now, whether this was what inspired Joan's actions or if she was that prophecy, we'll never really know for sure. But she somehow managed to convince this magistrate to take her to the king. She somehow managed to get in front of Charles and (laughs) she was able to use this fable this story to garner an, a private audience with the king. It was very brief, but she claimed to him that she was the woman who was going to come and save France. And he was king who badly needed saving, or at least a sense of direction. 
The fact that all this happened honestly shocks me beyond belief. I studied history uh, a lot and a lot about this time period in college as an art history major and (laughs) I just nerd out on it for fun. So this type of thing was really incredibly unheard of. She never should have had this opportunity and the fact that she did is kind of a miracle in and of itself. But it will hardly be the last miraculous event in Joan's short life. Before she went to see the king, she did one thing that would come to define her life and her death. She cut off her hair and she donned men's clothing. To say that this was against gender norms is an understatement. You could not do that at the time. But she did. By her own words, she wanted to desexualize herself. She did not want the male gaze to be attracted to her. She wanted male respect, and she got it. When she was somehow able to pull Prince Charles into a private room, according to Charles, she spoke to him about things that only God could know. To this day, we don't know what she said to him. But whatever she said persuaded him that she was truly sent by God, and she wanted Charles to be king and claimed that that was God's will. And this was the sign that he needed to be convinced that he was the rightful leader. He left the room beaming and gave Joan, a 17-year-old girl with zero military experience, an army to command. I still, I'm just laughing because it's so like, it's so crazy that this is a real story, that this actually happened. A story that has become part of the folklore around her is that she actually asked that a weapon be dug up for her that no one knew existed. It belonged to Charles Martel, a French hero and military leader. She knew that it was buried in a particular church behind the altar. But there were tons of things like this that an illiterate teenage girl from rural France should never have known. She'd never been to the town where this weapon was hidden And yet somehow she knew the sword was there. Historians still actually scratch their heads over some of these details, trying to piece together how she could possibly have been privy to some of this information that she knew. But that comes back to our suspension of disbelief when it comes to Joan. Her life was anything but ordinary or believable. Joan grew in popularity at this time. She decided with her new army to fight this key battle, the Battle of Orleans, again, without any military experience. Woof. What balls, honestly. (laughs) This area was of key importance to protecting France, strategically speaking. If lost, the English would have access to a river where they could easily transport what they needed over the rest of the southern area of France. So the move was very risky on Charles's part to put her in charge of this battle, but at the same time, not that risky. At the end of the day, if they lost, he could always say he was duped by this young woman and place the blame squarely on her shoulders. But if they won, he knew the victory would actually be his. So He would get the credit and the crown 
which is what he sought. So he let Joan forge ahead. The military at this time was battered and bruised. They had lost many a battle to the English, as we mentioned before. But Joan had this kind of fresh confidence to lend them. She inspired them with her brash conviction. She butt heads with some of the leadership, a lot of it actually, and they were probably frustrated with her sudden rise to power and lack of experience. But nonetheless, she had the backing of the literal king, so they kind of had to listen to her, like it or not. But her attitude was also kind of contagious. People listened to her from average town people to the king to the military members. She always rode a white horse. She carried a 10-foot lance very naturally. She was laser-focused on saving France from England and getting Charles on the throne. She understood this as her purpose from God. And as you can likely guess, she won this very difficult and important battle. She sent word to Charles. Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget. Book an SUV or minivan for a family road trip, a pickup truck for some errands, or even test drive an EV. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Find your drive. Forget boring rental cars at Turo.com. That said, at the time period following this incredible success, Joan began to have visions of her own demise. She reportedly knew that she wouldn't live much longer than a year. So she took this as an added reason to forge ahead with what she saw as her goals. She escorted Charles to the city of Reims following her victory so that he could be crowned the king at long last on July 17th, 1429. She accomplished her goal. She saved France from the English at Orléans and cleared the way for Charles to be crowned the king. Shortly after that, though, whispers flew at court about Joan wielding too much power. This was the beginning of the end for her. She then lost battle in Paris, and Charles began doubting her himself. He was worried that she wasn't God's messenger after all if she lost this battle. And if she's not God's messenger, then what was she? Well, a teenage girl that he'd been listening to. When she lost a second battle, Charles withdrew his support completely. A little later, in an act of desperation, Charles hired Joan for one more battle against the Anglo-Burgundians, basically Frenchmen who had aligned themselves with the English. But she was captured in this battle, much to the joy of her enemies at court. She was charged with heresy and witchcraft, and thus Charles made no moves to save her. Otherwise, it could have called his rule into question. Why should anyone bow to a king who is crowned by a witch? She was held in terrible conditions, and she actually leapt from a 40-foot tower and managed to survive, but was not able to escape. 
The Burgundians actually used this against her, claiming that the fact that she survived such a jump proved that she was a witch or in league with the devil, (laughs) of course. They tried to prove this in court, but ultimately they failed. So then with little else to go off of, they kind of turned their focus to, you guessed it, how she dressed. They threatened her with death and she signed a confession that her voices were false and that she wasn't a messenger of God. After this, there were no records for three days and it is actually believed that at this stage, Joan was raped and tortured by her captors. When she woke up on the fourth day, she dressed herself as a man once again in defiance of all the men holding her captive. And this was the final nail in her coffin. She was taken to Rouen, to the marketplace, where she was burned at the stake until dead. It's reported that the audience could not even stand to watch this, even though this type of spectacle was partially entertainment at the time. It's said that the military leaders even cried during the event. She was 19 years old. Myths say that her heart was not actually touched by the flames and remained whole at the end. A new trial after her death cleared her name in 1456, 500 years or so later. In 1920, she was canonized by the Catholic Church, becoming a saint. Gender and Joan I think it's tough to cover the life of Joan of Arc and not touch on her gender identity. Obviously, Joan cross-dressed. That much we know. Many have tried to label her as a lesbian throughout history, claiming that she would lay in bed with other women at night. Some go as far as to say she was transgender or asexual. But I think the truth of the matter is we just don't know. Identity is such a personal thing. And Joan herself did not seem to speak out on the idea that she was a man or that she was attracted to women. A lot of people, especially ones facing religious discrimination, do not come to terms with their own identity until adulthood. And Joan only lived to be 19 years old. So it's impossible to say distinctly. It's also reported that Joan never had periods, which points to a possibility, and I repeat, a possibility that she may have been genetically intersex. A lot of people suggest that. Many note that she was a natural athlete, and while this is a stereotype, it feeds into some people's notion that her gender identity is up for debate. At the end of the day, Joan called herself a woman in men's clothing, period. And that's really what we have to go off of, her own words. That said, she will always remain a gender icon for refusing to conform to traditional gender appearances to the point where she was killed for it and defying the idea that women could not lead battle. Whether Joan was a witch or a lesbian or a martyr or a combination of all of these things, one thing is clear. She was bold. She answered a call that she believed was from God, and she defied all of the odds. She achieved the impossible 
multiple times. And no matter what else she might have been, Joan was and always will be a badass. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron of our podcast. For $7.99 a month, you can unlock tons of perks like breaking news text messages so that you're never out of the loop. Tons of bonus episodes are already up there ready for you to binge and a discussion board full of networking opportunities and much more. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash sugar-free media today to become a patron. This is the best way to support our show. Our patrons make news du jour possible. But a couple other ways to support our podcast are rate and review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen, share on your social media, you have influence, tell your friends, family, and colleagues that you love news du jour and why you listen. You can also follow us on social media under sugarfreemedia.co on Instagram, just sugarfreemedia, all one word on TikTok, and sugarfree underscore media on Twitter. We also have a weekend newsletter called Dreamers Digest that's full of dreamy content recommendations for your weekend and a life update from yours truly. Sign up today on our website, www.sugarfreemedia.co. Our music is by Joey Lavoy and Nicholas Foster. Our cover art is by Hannah Pierce Photography. Our Sugar Free Media logo is by Catherine Jezik Designs. Any twinkling or little footsteps you might hear in the background are by my dog, Rhett. He's a rescue pup and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from... Oh. Oh.